0: Welcome back to BrailleCast Extra and to the final set of recordings from the recent Six Dots to Success World Braille Day conference held on Wednesday the 4th of January 2023. In this session we're going to hear a video about what Braille means to me, that's presented by Alana Moriarty, and then we're going to have our plenary panel session chaired by Roger Furman. This session was moderated by Fanula Murphy and Sharon Lyons and is introduced by Stuart Lawler.
1: Okay, welcome back to uh, the main room for the last part or the final part of our conference. Um, I think there's been some great conversations taking place in the breakouts and we'll get to hear a little bit more about those in a couple of minutes. But before we do that, we're going to introduce Alana Moriarty um alana is 13 years of age and she is in school um in dublin here in 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 ireland uh and um alana when you see her uh her video uh which fanula put together i think you will agree that she's a bit of a superstar i've had the pleasure of meeting um alana a couple of times and uh, she is passionate about braille as you will see and uh, this is a little Snippet of her braille journey and how she's using braille in school.
2: Hi, everybody. My name is Alana. I'm 13 years old and I am in Hartstown Community School. I use braille for many different things, mostly my schoolwork. All of my schoolwork is done in braille from English, Irish, maths, my languages, even my choice subjects, which are Spanish, music, and home ec They are all done in braille. I actually would be very lost if I didn't have braille in school. I also use Braille to do emails and contact teachers and sometimes friends as well. I'm definitely glad I learned Braille and that I have it in my life. I think I'd be very lost without Braille. As I said, I do, I would say like 99% of my school work in Braille. And when my devices and my Braille isn't working, I do feel very lost. Having Braille is an advantage. Sometimes it can make me faster than my peers. Uh, I use a device called a BrailleSense Polaris. And sometimes I'm quicker opening my school books and finding the page than my my classmates would be to get their books out of their bags and flick to the correct page or finding the chapter that we're on, because I can chap- I can type in the number and, and find what page it is. So that does make it easier. And sometimes I can be quicker at reading as well. I would definitely encourage people to learn Braille at any age. I don't think you have to be a young person to start Braille. It might make it easier if you're young, but, you know, you can do anything at any age. And I think... No matter what age you are, if you're in school or if you've graduated from college and you're, you know, older than school age, I, I definitely think you should be able to learn Braille and you should definitely try and learn Braille. Um, I'm sure there's many resources that you can get and Braille books and things like that. I'm sure there's online courses and everything. And I think it would be a really good thing to do for yourself. And I think it would be a fun experience as well. Um, Some advice that I would give if you're starting Braille is just try, keep trying and take it like pace by pace, step by step. I don't think you should jump right into like contracted Braille. Start with uncontracted Braille, learn all of the letters and the numbers, and then maybe move into the signs. And if you want to do music Braille, I would encourage it as well. I actually can't understand print music now that I do music Braille. And yeah, I definitely think it's something you should do. I will be using Braille for my whole life. I, I, it will definitely th- take me through school. Um, and if I go to college, it will definitely take me through college. And then if I do get a job, when I do get a job, I will definitely hope to use my Polaris. And if I can't do that, I'll be using a laptop, hopefully, with my Focus 40. And yeah, I definitely think I'll be using Braille. And I also do feel like when I, if I move out of my parents' house that I could put Braille on different drawers, presses, or food items to know what they are as well, because sometimes I can't read the labels.
1: Thank you very much, um, Alana there. Wonderful video um, from Alana. And uh, as you can see, the next generation of Braille learners is in very good hands. And uh, we're delighted to have been able to show you that piece today. Now, it's time to move to the panel discussion. We're going to hear some of the talk or hear a summary of some of what was going on in the breakout rooms. And we also, of course, want to hear your views, share your comments and your experience and your questions put to our panel. Our panel will comprise uh, Mel Pritchard, Paul Sullivan, and Lauren Cadet de Fantenay, and is chaired by Roger Furman. Roger is currently chair of the UK Association for Accessible Formats, that's UCAF. He's had a lifetime of using Braille both personally and professionally. From 2004 to mid-2022, he ran his own business called Golden Chord, transcribing music into Braille for a range of customers. Prior to that, he worked at RNIB from 1982 to 2004. Um, in, uh, in, uh sorry in a variety of posts, but music was a central area during that time as well. And Roger's hobbies include um, include baking, drinking nice wine, uh, reading and traveling. So uh, Roger is has been a great friend, uh, a great colleague and um, we're absolutely delighted Roger that you've joined us today to chair the panel uh, discussion. So I will hand over to you to uh, to bring us to this next stage of the conference. Thank you very much for the introduction,
3: Stuart. Very kind of you. As we reach the final session of this event, I should like to welcome our panel members, and Stuart's already mentioned who they will be, but all all of the the co-leaders or co-hosts of these groups, We, we have George, Mel, Laurent, and Paul, Matthew, and Stuart himself will be contributing, I'm sure, along the way. But, of course, we are most keen to hear from you, our audience, too. So to begin, I think it would be really helpful to get the headlines from the various groups. And I'm wondering whether, George and Paul, whether you would like to get us underway by sharing what happened in the group you were leading.
4: I suppose the the main outcome for our group was that there's a general consensus that that braille definitely does um enable people to carry on with the activities they enjoy doing uh, to socialize with other people to be included in in group activities such as choirs and and um families playing games together etc etc um uh, but i suppose one of the things that consistently came up in the questions and in discussions about how you adapt um on and use Brow for adapting social activities, leisure activities, is about labelling um, and then and the the power of being able to label um games and uh food packaging and uh lift buttons and so on that means you can move around in the environment and take part in, in those kind of leisure activities. Um so yes it's it's very much about uh that. Anything else that you can think of, George, that struck
5: you? I think kind of um also, you know, maybe finding your own adaptions or talking to other people about their kind of DIY things, like we had a, a nice discussion about braille slates and how you can use them and you know. it it, it was it was really interesting and that that kind of inclusion you know we spoke to some people who'd also kind of set up their own little social groups um I think there was some gambling card game um being played um which which was really interesting and kind of you know those kind of little communities that you can set up by people you know you find those people who who know braille and you can um create that kind of small community and the kind of inclusion you can create with people who maybe don't use Braille, but it, it's, you know, it's, it, I think that was kind of it.
4: One of the other um, really important messages that came out, I think, was that you don't need much Braille to get going in social activities like card games and um, labelling, etc. cetera. Um, you, you know, you can start with simple, simply knowing the alphabet and a few letters and then build on that. So, you know, you don't have to be as fluent as Peter White or, or somebody like myself who's been reading brown for years. You know, you can uh, start small and, and then find in the environments through sort of tactile signage, lift buttons, um, uh, medicines that have been labelled and so on, opportunities to practice and build up your brown skills.
5: That's exactly what I was going to say. And actually keeping keeping fluent in it by doing these kinds of things and making it kind of accessible to people who may be a bit cautious about Braille and, and and not sure whether they want to learn it and whether you just go come play a game or we'll be fine, you know, or look, it's right in front of you. It's in the lift, that kind of thing.
4: Yeah, that's a word that didn't come up much, but it's a really important word, I think, and that is fun. Brow enables you to have fun. You can play games together. You can join in choirs or you can do cooking. You know, you follow instructions and you can do the fun things you've always enjoyed doing if you've uh, become visually impaired and if you are uh, a lifelong visually impaired person. You know, Brow has enabled me to have fun all my life by enabling me to... Uh, participate in things that i wouldn't be able to do ordinarily using audio or speech and again we're not decrying those things they are fantastic tools as well but brow is just one extra tool in the toolbox
3: lovely let's we'll, we'll come clearly come back to you later on just keen uh, to now hear, if we may from mel and matthew i don't know who is going to lead is it going to be mel
6: yeah, well, we um, we looked at, we, we realised that, you know, different parts of the country have different ideas in schools about who should learn braille, I'm sure. But we looked at who should learn in, in a perfect world, who needs to learn and why it's so important to learn braille. And uh, we also looked at, We we did think about fun, you see, because we were talking about uh, youngsters in school. And so we thought about learning Braille being fun and using uh, Lego bricks and building up your tactile skills or your finger sensitivity and your fine motor skills. So we talked about having fun with cooking and Play-Doh and uh, Lego and all sorts of things like that. So we sort of split our workshop into those three categories or three um, sections. Um And I think what came out, I'm sure Matthew will correct me on some of this because it's probably an hour ago and I've forgotten. But um, one of the things I think that came across as a concern was how do we make Braille um, interesting? How do we make it cool? How do we make it? Um, How do we make the not only the children feel they want to learn it, but how do we make those parents keen for their children to learn it and I think that was something that came out um, as maybe a concern which, um, you know, we, we tried to address as best we can. Matthew, what did I miss.
0: Well, I don't think you really missed anything, uh, to be honest. That's a very good very good summary of, of, of what we covered. Uh, there was a lot of questions in the chat, interestingly, about reading schemes. Um, we didn't do an awful lot of uh, coverage of reading schemes in the session because the reading scheme landscape is in a very interesting place at the moment. And uh, I think there's probably a lot more work that needs to be done uh, on reading. Reading schemes by professionals and by academics, you know, View and uh, University of Birmingham and things like that. Uh, But there definitely is an interest in, uh, okay, we can teach people Braille, that's fine, but then how do we uh, encourage them to read? What do we give them to read for pleasure that is going to be engaging in the 21st century and that also aligns nicely with the 21st century school curriculum? And we've definitely identified a gap in the market there.
3: Brilliant. So let's finally, Laurent and Stewart, this is um, Laurent. Are you? Uh,
7: yes, hi there. I'm. I'm happy to uh, start us off, and then Stuart, if I if I miss anything, then please do do fill in. So, a few a few of the main themes that that came out from our session was um, the the invaluable um, contribution that Braille makes when it comes to accessing STEM subjects. You know, whether it's in education or in, in the professional setting. So STEM stands for uh, science, technology, um, something else, and maths. Um, and um, so, so Braille is really, really helpful in, 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 in those terms. We also spoke about you know, the the importance of Braille when it comes to accessing materials in different languages, um, the, the value that it has in terms of note-taking, um and revisiting one's once notes afterwards um one of the problem areas that that we identified was the timely provision of braille at university where um you know one of the participants could could contrast her experience of uh, studies in in New Zealand where she did experience very um timely provision of her braille study materials Um, but then coming to the UK and experiencing quite the opposite and having to rely on volunteers to read books to her on tape, which was very helpful, but not her preferred medium for for study. Um, We then spoke a bit about future developments and um, about the um, development of an electronic Braille format, which um, will be very helpful, um, you know, to, to make braille, um, especially on refreshable braille displays, much much more um, consumable, much more useful. And uh, James told us about the acronym GRIN, which um, James, you might need to uh, add on a little bit, but it stands for graphics. Um, the ability to mix graphics in with text on on certain braille displays, which are under development, reflow, which is being able to um, sort of change the uh, the line lengths depending on the length of of the actual braille display. Um, something else, which I stands for, and then navigation, which is um, the ability to um, jump around in a BRF file. Um, with with ease as what can currently do. Um, and this is something that's being developed uh, by the DAISY consortium. So if you're interested, do,
1: do look it up. So yeah,
7: Stuart, anything from your side that you'd like to, to add?
1: I think you've covered everything perfectly. Uh, Laurent, I suppose just one thing that came up at the very end, I think somebody was making the point in our room about cost of braille technology. And I suppose, look, everyone talks about cost of and the the changes that are coming maybe in the future in Braille technology that will help bring the cost down. And somebody was saying that, you know, they had a Braille display I think now for work. But you know, it's difficult to get access to this technology before you're either working or in college um, to to really know how to use it. You know, so you're kind of trying to trying to learn on the fly maybe. So um, I think just the the whole point about cost was was brought up.
7: Yeah, and and I think that you know that 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 really you know these developments in terms of costs lowering in terms of you know innovation in terms of how materials are 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 created for for storage and display on, on braille displays you know to me that that really just goes to to show that braille is alive and kicking
3: fantastic that's been really really helpful and i'm wondering if during that time we have any questions that have been put in the chat or any raised hands.
1: I know there's a lots of queries in the chat, uh, Roger, just sorry, the little bits, I, and I probably haven't seen them all, but there was people asking about, you know, how they could learn Braille. Somebody was asking uh, about Braille music, and I see that Kate Risden has, has popped into the chat and said that she's a Braille music teacher, which is it's great to see all this collaboration happening in the background as we're all chatting here.
5: Yeah, lots of questions. I suppose a couple of questions about refreshing braille rather than starting from scratch and is that something that the braille for beginners course is suitable for as well
6: yeah braille for beginners is um is a really good way of um either starting from scratch or um if you haven't done braille for a while um sort of refreshing your skills it is specifically for um people learning braille by touch i think it's important to say that it's not designed for people learning visually there are other Uh, lots of other courses out there for visual braille learners so when we did the braille for beginners we were really looking at people who can't see well enough to access the other courses and people who want to learn by touch it is only the basic alphabet so we just cover in braille for beginners the alphabet Basic punctuation and numbers, um, but we've tried to do it in such a way that uh, if someone then did want to go on to grade two braille, they'd be in a good place to pick up with something like, say, the fingerprint reading, reading and writing braille course. Um, so that's how we designed it.
3: Brilliant, Mel. Thank you very much. I think that's it is really a, a theme that's coming through loud and clear this morning is that you start. And do what you're able to do. You start taking little steps and building on that. That helps encouragement, and you develop confidence and many other skills along the way. So it's it's a it's a great way. So it's fantastic. Any other questions you can point us to?
1: I've got a couple of people who've raised their hands, uh, Roger. If you'd like me to bring one or two in.
3: By all means, Stuart, who, who
1: do we have? Okay, so we're going to start with Dorothy, and then we're going to go to John Morris. So, uh, Dorothy, you're first.
5: Hi, everyone. It's been a really good meeting, but I would like to know how the banks have made the, fa- the notes with these Gs. It has no uh, registration to the, what the, the note is. What does three Gs mean and all the rest of it? How will the note have the, sorted that out?
3: You're thinking of the symbols on the uh the 10 pound note and the 20 pound note, I think, aren't you? Two G's on the 10 and three G's. I think that goes way, well I say way back. It goes back to I think when someone will be able to correct me, uh I think from R and I no doubt, because I believe I have a memory. This was uh taken forward by RNIB in conjunction with those uh, providing the notes. And there was certainly discussion about that at the time. And the idea was to get at least some markings on those notes.
0: Yeah, Roger, I wonder if I could um, come in on that. I wasn't involved in the creation of the bank notes, so I can't give you a first-hand answer. I can give you a second-hand answer, which I hope is good enough. Um, The the point was, was, um, first of all, that the letter G is quite easy to make uh, on a note. It's just a cluster of four dots. Um, The way in which it actually works is that there's two clusters of dots on the 10 and three on the 20, and that's what the significance is. I think originally they wanted to put one on the five, but they didn't get the printing sorted out in time, but that's how it would go. One on the five, two on the 10, three on the 20, and four, if you're very lucky, uh, on the 50. Um, The reason why they chose Gs instead of numbers apart from the printing problems... um, Actually, the, the fact that it's a letter G is irrelevant. It's actually counting the clusters of dots that's the more relevant part. And what that does is, obviously, a Brailleist just has to get used to the fact that there's two Gs on a £10 note. But even a non brailleist even somebody who doesn't know braille, because the letter G is quite a big shape, um, people would be able to count how many there were without necessarily needing to know any braille. And so that was why they went for that rather than number. If you put, say, a number 10 or a number 20... Um, the difference between the letter A and the letter B to someone with low tactile uh, you know, uh, skills would be quite difficult. And also, of course, the, the note might go flat uh, over time. And so if the, if the dot two of the B went flat, but the dot one didn't, then you'd think you've got a 10 when you've got a 20. So the reasons along those lines were why you had three Gs on a 20 instead of the number 20.
3: And I think if anybody is really finding that a bit... Tricky. If it is possible for them, and I know this doesn't always work out by by any stretch of imagination, but the the notes do get larger in size from the five to the ten to the twenty. So maybe that could be another way if somebody needed some additional guidance as to which note they might have. And I take a slightly different
4: um, angle on this question as well, Roger? Um, in our group we we va- vaguely touched on the idea that you occasionally meet dots in the environment that are not brown but are called brow. so people think that a tactile watch is a brow watch because it's got dots to indicate the time positions and i suspect that this uh, these dots on the these tactile markings on the plastic brown uh plastic bank notes are the same you know they're, they're they're taken to be brow when really they're not braille. They're, they're just tactile indications of the denomination of the. Of the. But, but again, um, our, our, our question has raised a really good point that there's some confusion about this. And I suppose it's a bit like the tactile markings you find on pavements or platform edges. You know, unless somebody tells you the code, how are you expected to understand and interpret it correctly? And um, you know you do find dots, dots placed, up, placed on all sorts of things that are not brow, but but the public who think brow is any pattern of dots. You know I've heard people talk about the tactile paving as the brow paving because it's got raised dots, you know, by the crossing. suspect um, is something we've got to live with, but the good thing about brow on banknotes again, it's another opportunity if you're learning brow, even though it's not real brow, it's just. Matthews has a cluster of dots. It's another opportunity to rub your fingers across it and get used to identifying that tactile if that's a word,
1: bite up.
3: Thank you, Paul, very much. Uh, Stuart, there was another raised hand, I believe.
1: Yes, there are actually a few now, Roger. So um, yeah, we have uh, John Morris, then we'll go to Evangelist. Marie Harrower and Ian Lackey. So all pe- people are waiting patiently, and thank you for your patience. Please ju- bear with us, and we'll get to you all. So, uh, John, um, you—we'd love to hear from you.
8: Uh, thanks for this. It's—it's it's really uh, given me the spur to uh, actually start learning Braille, even at my advanced age of sixty-six, nearly. Um, but you're talking about books, and um, there seem to be a dearth of of books around for for um in braille. How would I go about getting my books converted to braille? see i've got I've got a couple of children's books I've had published normally, and I'd like to yeah you know, having listened to this, I think it, you know it'd be nice to try and get them into
0: braille versions. How would I do it?
3: who would like to take that one on the panel?
0: I'll take it. There are two routes actually as a as an author um and as a publisher I mean as an author I suppose it depends what rights you've got doesn't it but I mean you could commission or the publisher could commission uh, somebody to do the braille for you and that would be somebody like RNIB or uh, there's an organisation up in Wales called PIA Uh, they do quite a lot of this sort of work and there are other you know independent transcribers there's an organisation called UCAF uh, which Roger can talk to you more about and UCAF would certainly be able to point you in the direction of reputable uh, braille transcribers and the the commission for that would have to come from the person who owns the copyright. So that would either be you as the author um, or your publisher. Um, As a blind person, if you want a book in Braille that isn't available in Braille, um, there are various bits of copyright legislation, which I won't go into here, partly because they're quite complicated and I don't know them all, and partly because it would take too long. But... Um, The cut and thrust of it is if you want a book in Braille for your own private consumption and you're not going to make any money off it and you own a copy of the book in some other way, so if you owned a print copy of the book or you owned an electronic, you know, an e-book or something, um, you would be within your rights to contact somebody like RNIB and say, could you make a transcription of this for my personal use? And they would be able to do that without copyright so long as there was no sale of the book involved.
4: I think it's also worth saying, Matthew, that I mean I'm a great fan of paper braille, so books, proper old-fashioned braille books, fantastic if you can get them. But of course, if you can get, um, if you've got braille display, like I have, a brow electronic braille display, and that book is available, say, on Kindle or on Apple Books or whatever, then I can access that book for myself in braille using my technology, uh, rather than anybody else having to do anything with it ah so if your if your questioner if your books are available electronically some people will be able to access them in brow through 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 modern technology through brow displays
3: okay right thanks so I, I i think what i'd say about the the question thank you very much for raising it and certainly um you know if we can help through you Kaf, get in touch with us i'm very happy happy to help and there are a lot there's lots of other help available so really importantly don't let it you know don't let it drop and be forgotten about if you need the additional support and help
1: uh we have a couple of more raised hands roger if you're happy to continue with that
3: absolutely
1: so uh Vangelis, uh, Vangelis i think I, I Vangelis actually joined us in our breakout room and i didn't pronounce his name correctly and i think i've done it again so my apologies Evangelis. we should be able to talk to us now thank you I'm not
9: familiar with uh, British currency notes, but I am with a Canadian. And briefly, the the five dollar bill has one uh, six dot cell, and the ten at some distance has two. The twenty three, the fifty four, and the hundred uh, dollar note has four. Has only two, but only the first and the fourth. And if you're lucky to get a $1,000 bill in Canada, it has no braille cells. The thinking behind this um, technique is that we didn't use braille numerals because uh, with braille cells, you don't need to interpret it. You just need to locate it and know how the method works. And our experience is that it's a very accessible and usable way of identifying um uh, uh, notes currency notes the canadian dollar does not have different uh, the canadian currency does not have different sizes so in fact with this method you don't have to compare a paper note to any other paper note thank
3: you very much for the point you've raised very interesting indeed and interesting to learn how other countries deal with a similar issue and come up with a different solution. So thank you very much for that. Stuart,
1: another raised hand? So we have Marie, Marie Harrower. Roger,
10: thank you. And just kind of t- take the opportunity of saying that the conference has been absolutely inspirational. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, we've, for the last 18 months, a small group of us have been campaigning to have um, Braille labels uh, placed on food products. And today, the Scottish Parliament um, have opened a petition. And we hope that if the petition is well supported, um, then we might have a chance of legislation going through to ensure that manufacturers label products. The co op do it, and one or two other companies do it. And it's so easy to go open your cupboard and quickly and effortlessly identify. Product that you wish to um, collect. And so, if anybody um, would be kind enough to support the petition in the Scottish Parliament, because this is going to be a national thing, although we've started it in, in the Scottish Parliament, you know, be assured that it's hopefully going to be national, um, then we would be most grateful for your support. And what you do is you google hashtag join the dots. Now, if I have any more information on how to access the petition, that's one way of doing it, but I think there will be other ways of doing it. May I um, circulate that to the, the Brailless Foundation, and I wonder if they would be kind enough to circulate that to their, their, their you know, the members.
3: Thank you very much for the point. Um, yes, certainly something I am aware of that, and uh, certainly want that to succeed not only for scotland but obviously to increase labeling on many many products and as you, as you mentioned the uh, the co-op do it and obviously there are um it's done on pharmaceutical products but nowhere nowhere widely enough yet so this is all good and uh, all power to the elbow and you know taking the lead and pursuing it that's fantastic now do We haven't heard, uh, we've had a few raised hands, and I'm just wondering if there is anything in the chat that we need to respond
1: to? Maybe while we're looking at the chat, Roger, we have one more raised hand um, from Ian Lackey. So um, Ian, you should be able to chat to us.
11: Yeah, um, a lot has been said about the cost of Braille displays. And for a long time, I used that as an argument for not getting one. Uh, Unfortunately, um, I'm in a position where I could afford to buy one myself. Uh, Having done that, it's something that I use every day. You know, I got my Brilliant that I'm using now uh, last year. um, No, 2021. I've used it every day. So it really has paid for itself as a useful device. Um, Also, I think it's worth mentioning uh, the RNIV book card, which is the best free thing that you can get, in my opinion. Um, And I think there's a new one coming out soon with, with more books on it. And thirdly, New Book Guide came out yesterday. And I was looking at the Braille books, books available in hard copy Braille. And I'm really wondering, is it encouraging for people to get a book in Braille when it comes in some sort of 29 pamphlets or 12 pamphlets or whatever? I just wonder, has the uptake of hard copy Braille increased or decreased since uh, the new system of Giving people books in this format was brought into being.
3: Many, many thanks for your question. I'm sure that uh, some of what you said will really gladden the RNIB heart and the heart of James Bowden in particular, who's it, it, done sterling work on uh, providing, uh, making it possible for all these books to be on the uh, the SD card. And uh, but I'm wondering if Matthew or if anybody else has. Um, some direct experience or somebody in the audience would um, can help us directly to get a feel for the, the, sorry, the uptake of Braille since uh, the, the Orbit Reader and other devices um, using. There will always be those who prefer hard copy Braille and there is a difference, I think. Uh, I don't want to really get into the semantics of this, but there is a difference between reading a hard copy piece of Braille and something on a a, on a Braille display. But obviously both are equally valid and not saying one's better than the other. They're just different experiences. But does anybody have any direct input? in?
11: I'm really asking, has um, there been any increase in the uptake of hard copy Braille since?
3: No, sure. Yes, I understand the, the, uh, the 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 helpful point you're making, I'm just wondering if there is anybody here who can give a definitive answer or whether that's something we need to um, ascertain and so.
4: I wouldn't be able to answer that question, uh, Roger, but my feeling would be there would be a decrease rather than an increase because, for the points that the question makes, that, you know, uh, the move to providing books in small pamphlets, um. And, and, and therefore, in, in even larger numbers than the old-fashioned brow volumes used to come in, um, presents a lot of a lot of issues around handling, storage, packing, uh, and disposal, and 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 issues around um, the environment as well. For me, I think this, you know, and I, and I've seen a lot of comments, you know, on on other forums about people's feelings about these. Um, so I think that that is a, a question that does need answering, um, and I suppose more philosophically, you, you know, is there is there an intention somewhere to discourage uh, braille on paper, uh, with you know, with the assumption that electronic braille provides all we need? And I and I would strongly disagree with that. I don't. I I love braille on paper.
3: I wouldn't think it's a, a deliberate employed saying, "Well, you've here, here is your electronic braille. Therefore, hard copy braille is. I mean, ho, hard copy braille is so so important for people in many many different situations. And uh, you know, I'm sure probably every one of us at this meeting today could give a situation where there is a preference for hard copy braille in in their actual everyday life."
4: I'm with Peter White in lamenting the passing of the old uh, National Library. But, uh, but I do remember with, with some <laughs> come of horror and shock, really, the, the disgusting state of some of the books that used to come, you know, be delivered with uh, all kinds of adhesions to them that you didn't want to ask too many questions about what they might be. You know, the, the new books are clean. You have to say that about them.
3: That's right. Thank you very much for the point, And that does need perhaps more of a definitive answer unless somebody now has one for us
0: just before we leave the point hello i don't have a definitive answer but i have noticed that james bowden has his hand up and he may have a definitive answer so i wonder if it's worth going to james before we we, we move on
3: okay james do cut co- do, uh, do come in
8: Hello. Um, so this is a question, um, Ian and Paul. That you need to send to the RNIB Library team. Um, I don't have a definitive number if the numbers have gone up or down, but empirically, I think they have actually gone up. Now it's really interesting, and I know there's a lot of mixed feeling about the the new pamphlet style books Um, and and we could spend an entire hour in fact I think we did spend an entire hour talking about them on one of the Braillist sessions Um, you've mentioned the the cleanliness of the new books that's definitely an advantage you've also um, the, the the freshness of the dots should also be another advantage Um, the the smallness of the pamphlets the original idea was to get them through letterboxes but I know that sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't happen now I'm not saying it's perfect by any means but I can definitely assure you there is no intention to force people into electronic only braille it's either or it's your preference and I think it's great that we have the choice absolutely
3: 100% support that James thank you so I think, and also very helpfully, thanking thank you for directing uh, the question or suggesting where the question can be directed for, you know, more of a definitive answer on that point. But it is very much an i an either or situation. Before we uh, before we get to the end of this session, I know there there were two main th- themes that we we're not going to solve them here. By no means, but I just wondered whether anybody on the panel or anybody wishes to uh, or can give us an update about provision of reading schemes. And the second point that I noted was provision of materials at university. I wonder if this this has obviously been an issue and is an issue. So can we talk about those for the next, perhaps? few minutes anybody like to go on reading schemes are there new ones in the being developed is there, um are there existing ones that perhaps we don't know about or as many people don't know about uh, who could benefit from them
0: well, I'll, I'll I'll start the conversation um, and then we can we can hope that the conversation will sort of spread from there really we didn't have a conclusive answer in our session um and this is probably because although Mel and I have both taught Braille to children it was a long time ago and so actually we're probably a little bit disconnected from that particular aspect of, of how schools work um what we seem to have come up with is that, the reading schemes the specific braille reading schemes at the moment are still the same as they were so 20 years ago so we're talking about takeoff and the abbey books and, and braille for infants that's now called hands-on um, uh, however one of the things that was highlighted was that um you can learn braille just by reading it you don't have to be taught every single sign by a qualified braille teacher it's of course useful to have a qualified braille teacher and yes i mean weekly braille lessons are useful to reinforce things and to reinforce things that you might have learned you know incorrectly by just seeing it but if you see a sign and you don't know what it is um you're going to be inquisitive about it most likely and ask somebody what it is or read around it to figure it out or or take a good educated guess and on that basis actually Um, certainly when i was at school we used the oxford reading tree i don't know whether the oxford reading tree is still in use today but equivalent schemes will certainly exist and could be transcribed into braille quite easily and i wouldn't stress too much about learning tables or about using the right contractions in the right order or anything fancy like that i'd just transcribe them in plain old grade two and wait and see what happens because i think your students will by and large uh, surprise you with what they're able to pick up
3: Matthew, thank you very much indeed. Does anybody wish to add anything to the conversation at this point?
0: Lena
12: Cousy has her hand up. She might be interested in uh, from the NCBI in Dublin.
3: Lena, welcome.
13: Thank you very much. Um, very interesting. I just wanted to add a little to the bio reading team, that both in Ireland and the UK, we started a couple of years ago with the Lego Braille bricks, um, learning, play, learning Braille through um, um And we have rolled this out to a number of schools and students across Ireland, and I know in the UK that the same thing is happening over there as well, um, whereby children that are learning Braille, any, any child from the age of four to 16 uh, that's learning Braille we we'll get a, a, a kit a real Lego real kit, um, and it's free of charge, and it teaches the basics of real. so you're uncontracted real, save one door uh, letter by pay creating words, learning the alphabet, learning numbers. Um, it's a fantastic thing and very well appreciated here in Ireland, um, and I know that Lego are running this, and um, all over the world actually now. A variety of different languages as well. Um, And I know that recently they've rolled it out in China and they're going to roll it out in the the Arabic language as well uh, in Saudi Arabia, I believe. And so it's very well accessible across the globe. And it's just an added thing just to keep in mind when we're talking about this skills. And that the the Lego Foundation has been um, ahead of. Many,
3: many organisations are helping us um, with this project. Lena, thank you for the point. Um, so, uh, some of the uh, some of the audio may have been a bit tricky to hear, but I, th- I hope we've managed to get the, the gist of what what you have, um, were wanting to contribute. And, and thank you very much indeed for doing that. Um, so, finally, do we? Do, is it our observation? That provision of university material is this a a general issue? Do we believe, or is it something that needs more promotion? Is it something that needs uh, better, you know, addressing better in by raising awareness at that kind of level? Does anybody have any anything they can add to you know this part of the conversation?
12: Um, Sorry, Roger, can I come in on this as well? Um, because part of the work that we're doing here in Ireland um, with Bookshare Ireland is uh, the rolling out uh, of content for students in further and higher education. And um, the, the platform itself, Bookshare Ireland, now holds over one million titles in a variety of accessible formats. Many of the books are academic books. Um, so they're books used by students in further and higher education. And the student has a choice when they uh, select the book for their course or the books from their curriculum that they need. Um, that they have a choice of a four or five different formats. One of them would be BRF, which is a braille ready file. Um, this has been very successful in Ireland, and we only we started um, actually at the end of two thousand and nineteen. Um, I know that RNIB the and in UK have a similar platform, um, and we share uh, many of. Uh, our books with international um, organisations. So um, we have links with Canada, we have links with Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Africa um, and the UK of course. And we share our titles and that's why we have such a wealthy, and rich and valuable collection uh, made available to our students involved in higher education. And Maybe it's something that should be noted as well, that uh, a lot of work has been done in this, in this area. And it's not a static system. Uh, Bookshare Ireland or any of the Bookshare platforms it's continuously growing and developing. Uh, It's not a a static collection by by far. Um, It's growing daily uh, by thousands and thousands of books that are being put onto the service and onto the system.
3: Very, very many thanks for making that point. And and as you alluded to, there there is Bookshare uh, from the RNIB and there's also a lot of work going on being done by um, publishers as well, um, you know, print publishers making material available electronically. So I'm wondering whether it's uh, it's in, in no way wishing to minimise the issue that was clearly experienced, um, you know, by people about this provision, but maybe it's a combination of more publicity, letting people know what resources are available, how to access them, and maybe that's something that uh, can be a takeaway from uh, this particular conference.
0: I think that's right. Since I started the conversation, perhaps I ought to uh, to, to come in and, and respond to some of that. I do think that's right. And the point about Bookshare is a very valid one. Um, certainly over in the UK, Bookshare is available, RNIB Bookshare is available to all educational establishments. So that's schools, obviously. But I think... Um, even adults who are listening to this who might be thinking, well, I can't get access to Bookshare because I'm not at school. Actually, if you were at a college or a university, even studying a distance learning course, uh, you'd be able to get access to RNIB Bookshare uh, through the college or through the university. So it is an absolutely incredible resource. I think think the only thing to be careful about when we're talking about teaching Braille is... um, things like, I mean, having said all I said about contractions, and I I do actually stand by it, um, the, the beauty of something like Takeoff was that it would introduce contractions in a very methodical order, in a very methodical way that was compatible with the national curriculum of the time, so you could run a braille lesson entirely in parallel with the national curriculum and it would make sense, and that I think is what has been lost slightly is that yes, we don't have a Braille-specific resource that deals with split digraphs and things like that, which means that the teaching of Braille has become very separate from the teaching of literacy, whereas about 20 years ago, the teaching of Braille was integral to the teaching of literacy. And I think um, use of mainstream resources is a very good idea. I do think it would be very good if there was some research done into whether we can bridge that gap a little bit to make it a bit more holistic.
3: Matthew, thank you very much indeed. I think we are approaching the time when we need to draw this session to a close. So, in doing so, I'd like to thank uh, my fellow panel members and everybody, you, the audience, particularly, and for everybody who's been here today to Sight and Sound Technology and the Braylist Foundation for your generous invitation to me to lead this particular session. But finally, all of us here are ambassadors for Braille and by our actions, we can ensure it has a continuing important place in the world for future generations. There will be points from this event to take forward and further develop. The casual conversations we have with others about Braille all help because we know the journey is never complete. Let us make sure we seize the moment, whatever that is for each of us. I believe this is what Louis Braille would be encouraging us to do. Thank you. And over to Stuart.
1: Thank you, Roger. You are the consummate professional as always. And you have chaired the last hour uh, absolutely um, expertly. So thank you so much for doing so. Uh, that's just about where our conference ends for today. I can't believe the time has flown so much. And we have thoroughly enjoyed the session. There's been so much uh, discussion on chat. I see a lot of people answering questions and people pointing people to uh, websites. Um, so I think to just watch the peer support has been really interesting for, for me as well. I want to just say a few really quick thank yous. First of all, to again, to everybody for attending today and for staying with us, whether you joined first thing or you came a little later, or you dropped in and out, thank you for making any time in your day to join our Six Dots to Success. To our workshop leaders this morning, To Mel, George, and Laurent, thank you so much for your assistance and your help. We could not have done this without you. And to Roger Furman, the chair with the most, we thank you again, Roger, for your um, expertise today. To Peter White, our keynote, who had to dash away, but he left us with some great thoughts and what a way to start our conference. And to our friends at the Braillists Foundation, to Matthew Horspool, Paul Sullivan, and of course, to the chair of the Braillists Foundation, Dave Williams, thank you so much to Matthew and Paul in particular, because we've been working on this project for the last while, and they've just been great to work with, and I I really hope it's going to happen again in the future. And finally, and last but not by my no means least, to my own colleagues, to uh, Fanula Murphy and Sharon Lines, who've been outstanding here today and who I could not have worked without. Fanula has been part of this project from day one and has done a huge amount of work behind the scenes to make it all happen. So, Fanula, thank you sincerely. Sharon was drafted in at the last minute when our colleague uh, Ruth Gallagher Carr Uh, moved on from the company. And Sharon had the unenviable task this morning of creating loads of breakout rooms and managing lots of people. So Sharon, thank you very much for your help and to our CEO, Glenn Tukey, for his support. Thank you, everybody. Uh, Stay safe and stay well. Happy New Year. Happy World Braille Day. Uh, I think we're all going to go and get something to eat at this stage, but uh, enjoy the rest of your day and the rest of your Braille Day. And thank you to all the lovely messages that are coming up on the chat at the moment. It's much appreciated. Take care, everybody. And we will talk to you again.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of BrailleCast Extra. You can find more Braille related content by subscribing to BrailleCast, all one word, in your podcast client of choice or listening to BrailleCast, connecting the dots for Braylists everywhere on your smart speaker. For the latest information about future Braylists events and how to join live, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter at brailistsorg newsletter slash sign up. You can also visit our events page at brailistsorg events. If you have comments on this recording or suggestions of topics or guests for future events, we'd love to hear from you. Please email help at braylists.org. You can also find The Braylists on Twitter, at Braylists or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Foundation. Finally, if you like what you've heard, spread the word. We welcome new listeners and live participants alike, so if you know other people who are interested in Braille, please tell them where to find us. In the meantime, on behalf of everyone at The Braillists, thanks for listening and bye for now. Six Dots to Success is presented in collaboration with Sight & Sound Technology Limited. on the web at sightandsound.co.uk or sightandsoundtechnology.ie Additional costs are defrayed by an Activate Fund of the Churchill Fellowship on the web at churchillfellowship.org.